Love you, Marco. Uh, more impressions, please. <laughs> I like your stuff. It's much more spicy and interesting. Where the hell did that come from? Oh, I love you, Marco. Oh, my God. You're a great interviewer, great conversationalist. I just never forgot you. <laughs> Babble Bullshit and Beyond is a new podcast hosted by me, Marco Kiris. A man coming out of the shadows after a long decade working with Nicolas Cage, or as I like to call it, my cage wage world. Just some fluff and then some stuff on the party that unites us through pop and all things Hollywood. Today's podcast is with the sultry songstress Julie Cassiopo, a cabaret and jazz club singer who has traveled many countries entertaining audiences. She is currently quarantining and creating her music at home in Seattle. On today's show, we have yeah. Julie Cassiopo, alive from Seattle, Washington. Not live because it's tape, but I like to call it live because she's live and we're kind of live together. Right now. Yeah, we are right now. And right. We, we are, we've got a very live vibe. Julie, welcome and thank you for coming on Babble BS and Beyond, better known as Babble Bullshit and Beyond. And thank you. How's Seattle? it's wonderful it's kind of cloudy mm-hmm. and um it rained last night a little so all the flowers are blooming it's uh, it's the height of spring and plants are you know that sounds like my hairdo it's the height of my hairdo every day in this covid time do you have trouble with your hair i do have a lot of trouble that's why i paste it down with a lot of molding mud and uh, oh. but I'm lucky I have it. So, um, I, you know, a little L'Oreal for for coloring sake doesn't hurt. No. Yeah. Kind of, you know, it can, it's a do it yourself or on that level. Oh, I know. Especially now, because uh, we, we're all closed down in mm-hmm. that department. Yeah. Too long. And hairdressers are now coincidentally raising their fees. Yeah. <laughs> yes. They're the new doctors of the world. Are the hairdressers. Pretty soon they'll be making house calls. I know. That's how I see it. So, Julie, you are a jazz and blues vocalist and have been for a thousand years, it seems. And I just want to tell the audience that we go back. We've been in and out of contact for years. But when you really think about it, Julie, it's been 35 years It sounds kind of silly because it was the mid 80s or the beginning of the 80s when we met at the infamous Hollywood Savoy. Yeah, it was, um, I think it was 1985. Mm -hmm. What time did you, were you working there before I was, weren't you? Uh, You know, I can't fully remember. I think I got to the Savoy. I was in Paris in 83. I think I got there at the tail end of 83 and stayed there to the uh, beginning of 85. Somewhere around there. Oh, yeah. So I was. And why uh, did you why did you leave? That's what I was curious about. Well, I left because you're not going to believe it. Do you remember the owners? The original owners were Ernie uh, Crazies, the Crazies, the Greek Americans. Yes. From L.A. Yeah. Well, they were actually from from New York who had a restaurant in Houston called the Great Greek Restaurant and then opened up in L.A. called the Great Greek Restaurant as well. I met them while I was in Paris, while we were at the Hollywood Savoy. They came in to kind of check up on the restaurant and I ended up being their waiter because I'm Greek Canadian. So they liked my service after a couple of nights while they were monitoring the stuff. And then they offered me a managerial position to run the restaurant in oh. Los Angeles, if you can oh, believe and it. That's how your career got uh, off the ground. 
Yeah, well, I don't know about a career, but different job opportunities got off the ground. And, you know, I was kind of like wandering like most of us were. And uh, and I saw that Paris was potentially going to be a dead end for me, even though I had my carte de séjour <laughs> working there and being successful were two different things. And for them to offer me a managerial position in Los Angeles, and I'd never been there, I took it. And a few months later, I packed it all up and I, I went straight to the valley. Oh, but did you, um, when you were in Paris, what were you doing in Paris besides working at the Hollywood? Were you singing a, a song at the Hollywood Savoy? I wasn't uh, singing a song, but I was I was hired because I actually had uh, my papers, which was also kind of hard for Americans to have. But I actually had my student visa paper. I was there to study French, to learn French, oh. to cultivate myself and the ways of life in Europe, despite being of Greek extract uh, from Toronto. So and, and Paris to me was always my dream. And I couldn't believe I did it. I was thrilled to have done it. And that's why I went there. And then I, I needed a job. I had a couple of other you know, no frill jobs while I was in Paris. They hired me on the spot because I had my working papers and I sounded American, even though I was from Canada. So it was kind of like one off, but close enough. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's, that's how I got in there. And I was a good waiter because I was already a waiter and I did sing in the choruses. I had a couple of solo acts, which were horrible. And I think which I, were what songs did you sing? I think I sang, um, what was his name? The, uh, the jazz blues singer, Michael something. Uh, anyway, it's some, some like kind of folky kind of singer. And then I sing a couple of pop songs like, uh, Toto songs and that kind of stuff. The hits of kind of like that day, oh, but I was so uh -huh. bad. I learned the songs, but I think that people like Stacy and the audience were not so into me because I really wasn't a singer. I was a wannabe. And I just kind of stuck to doing the chorus after that. And, and I focused oh. on being a waiter, which I, I did. So most of the other singers who were wonderful singers, who were also waiters, I would take over their sections and help serve people while they oh. got on. Because they did a few sets at the same time. So I would just yeah. help. I was going to be that universal waiter for everybody oh. as a chipping thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you um, uh, know, you probably knew some of the waitresses very well. Do you remember Susie Robinson? I do. Yes, I remember Susie Robinson. I remember uh, Rochelle, who was not a singer, who was a singer, but not a waitress. Well, I even was, uh, I, well, Susie was a good friend of mine and I sometimes uh, lived with her. Hmm. And, and then remember Madam Eleanor? Oh, <laughs> I lived with her for, I think, quite a while on the uh, Place de Vosges. Oh my God, you two divas in one. Oh, my God. And she was involved with the Hell's Angels. Oh, oh, I remember and she had a kind of like she had a, um, that crowd a, kind of, you know, wallow it in at times. A questionable boyfriend mm -hmm. that was good friends with the Hell's Angels. And I remember they used to come to the Hollywood Savoy sometimes. Mm -hmm. And and, you know, they were kind of, you know, mellow guys, you know, but I remember one of them. When, oh, he gave me a hug. I used to be much more, you know, huggy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, he goes, oh, wow, you not only sound good, you smell good. Well, they are nice? right about that. You always sounded great and you smelt amazing all the time. You had a certain sense, just this beautiful aura when you walked by. It was just really? always, all the time. And those dresses, oh, wow. those outfits and stuff. And I just have to, I'm going to bounce onto something here at the Savoy. I read your, your chapter you sent and I loved it when you were discussing um, your takeover over Rochelle Robertson. 
And, oh, yeah. Uh, it was so well written. I just thought it was really cute. Oh, thank you. And I didn't realize that was actually happening, that she was kind of like the, the madam until you took over. Yeah. Well, yeah, she was the, the la vedette. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that what they call it? And, you know, she didn't really uh, want to be in that position because she was, you know, from Hollywood. Uh, she she had enough of Hollywood. You know, she used to into organic food hmm. and yoga back then, you know. And uh, but she had it all going on. You know, she came from the heart of Hollywood with her father being a movie star. And mm-hmm. and I remember we kind of hung, hung out together and a bit. I sometimes she was once uh, we we sometimes uh, were roommates. She invited me to um, share a room at her house. Mm. You know, she had an extra room. OK, well, which and, most of us uh, didn't. So, I mean, she was fortunate to have that while living in Paris. Well, she she got a beautiful apartment, two bedroom place on Rue du Dragon. Oh. <laughs> you know that place? Yeah, I do. And I remember Dragon, you know, kind of running the restaurant also. And he was really a dragon. That guy was just like a Yugoslavian armpit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know if he's yeah, around kind of anymore. Like a- I think he got deported. <laughs> I think he was kind of a, a troubled child that grew up. Yeah, that's a troubled man. And those fangs coming out of his mouth. Well, he, he used to give me kind of a hard time. I remember once I was sitting at the bar in a beaded dress and he was just like like poking at me, not physically, but and I was just going, wow, this is kind of weird, you know. <laughs> I didn't know that people were like that because most people in Paris were nice. Yes, but he wasn't from Paris. No, he was from Yugoslavia, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was when he was Yugoslavia, pretty much. Yeah. It was the Yugo special. So it was a it was a different vibe 35 years ago. And he was already older. So he had that yeah. old school Eastern Bloc mentality. So it was yeah. it was it was yeah. on the rougher side to kind of keep people in line. He was kind of like the cracking the whip at the circus. Yeah. Because we keep were the, the circus. Yeah, because we had minions in line. We had all us little pop stars, La Divine and Holly Lane. I'm sure you remember everybody. Oh yeah, Holly Lane. She was doing that uh, Doctor Long John. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, what, you're right. You're right. She uh, was very good in her high kicks and those legs yeah. and so forth. Oh my god! But I'm gonna tell you that you were the sultry songstress. The entire uh-huh. time. I loved listening to Rochelle because she kind of like owned it when she walked in that Liz Affair kind of an attitude. Like I've been there and back. I've done with a cigarette. Can I just toss it in your face kind of an attitude and, <laughs> and throw me some more money because I'm bored. And then you came <laughs> on working the audience the way Stacy did. And he was a brilliant musical director. But you yeah. two complimented one another. You knew every song and you did it all tongue in cheek. Your humor. Yeah was opposite Stacy's, but it was a very um, Captain and Tennille type of, you know, oh. uh, duo between the two of you. It was great. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, I don't think um, Rochelle and he had good chemistry. Yeah. Well, Stacy is very lighthearted and very Southern and, and boppy. Yeah. And he was a musical theater guy. She was a Hollywood movie star. Yeah. 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 But I don't think she even wanted to be a movie star. Yeah, she's just, you know, she was a recipient of that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I was wondering, I sent you an email of a picture of two beautiful blonde Norwegian men. Mm-hmm. I saw and them. I asked, yes. Did you know them? No. 
I don't remember them well, at all. Well, one of them used to come to the Hollywood Savoy mm-hmm. and I, and I can't remember his name and you know, I have a special affinity with Norway. Yes. So, you know, I plan to go back there to sing at a jazz festival as soon as the world changes mm-hmm. and, um, which might be never, but yeah. that's where my heart is focused. And I thought, wouldn't it be mm. fun to look the twins up? One was straight and one was gay. Mm-hmm. They were both with me on a very special day. We had gone to the uh, Piscine Molitar. You know what that is? No. It was a swimming pool. Oh, okay. I know the Piscine is a swimming pool, but I don't know. I, You know, was it, was it in a park? It was very, it was from the 20s mm-hmm. and it was Art Deco. Okay. And they had all these little wooden dressing rooms. Oh, uh, and it was a, yes, yes. God, that was a cool place to... Uh, to swim and have fun. And you know who bought that was Accord Hotels. Hmm. And now it costs uh, like almost an arm and a leg to go in there, like almost uh, a couple hundred dollars to spend the day there. About wow. $400. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, wow, the world has changed. I mean, it's a it different has. place. Have it, you been back to Paris? I have been back uh, a few times, but not enough. And I'd like to go back a lot more. I think I've kind of voiced my opinion. The truth is, uh, my tech assistant said to me the other day, Zach, and he says, you know, would you like to, because I told him so much about the Hollywood Savoy. And he says, would you actually think of buying that place? And I said, yeah. I said, if it was cheap enough for me to purchase that, I would buy it and bring back all of you people and bring it back to life. And I believe that it would be successful if we were in real times. Um, I, I often thought of, I thought that was a great idea. Yeah, yeah. you'd be a great um, restaurateur. Yeah. I mean, you know, since you've had so much background in it, but, you know, restaurants, I feel sorry for anybody who's got a restaurant these days. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now it's, uh, you know, we don't know how long it's going to last and so forth. So not to go into that mode, Julie, at all. But I want to <laughs> say that during the innocent times, and they were innocent times because we were young in our 20s and living in Paris as, uh, you know, American and Canadians and kind of coming and going. I learned about, believe it or not, aside from pop culture on TV, I'd never really known Americans, Americans until I went to the American church in Paris and I met the, the, the Stacey McAdams and everybody else of the world and everybody seemed to have congregated there. And it was such a community that I actually fell in love with that entire culture that I didn't know really existed because I, I felt like it didn't exist up here. And I was kind of like, you know, I, I fell in love with all of it. So I learned from you people, everybody was very humble, fun entertaining, smart, and it kind of shaped me. So going into LA after Paris felt like the right vibe because I was kind of set up from you and Stacy's Southern Hospitality and all the others, you know, the Massachusetts clan that we had as well working for us. Everybody was just wonderful. Like there wasn't one person, you know, that wasn't wonderful. It was a great well, thank time. Thank you. Yeah, that was good. And remember Eddie Goldstein, the piano player. Yes. He- I swear I never sounded better than when he played because he he knew how to really like accompany a singer. Mm -hmm. He was great. And the Cowboys were great. Yeah, they were great. Do you remember I I used to sing with the Cowboys? Do you remember any songs I sung with them? I don't remember the songs, but I I remembered you just, you know, like like you were on key on time all the time. You were on. 
It didn't oh, matter if you were at the you. back of the room schmoozing with some clients. As soon as they, they started a song, you would just excuse yourself and just kind of like sashay to the front. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Mm. I was born to be an entertainer. Yeah. Well, you do it well because I saw a few videos that you were doing as well, Julie. And, you know, it, it works for you. And I think it's great. I mean, yes, you've, you have traveled. You have been to Mumbai, Bali, New Delhi. You've been in, in Istanbul, Bangkok, Hong Kong, London, Lausanne, obviously Paris and throughout parts of the States. I mean, these are a lot of places to have traveled. And you're back in your in, yeah. you know, in humble Seattle. Yes. Humble. But, yeah. And also you forgot to mention Norway. I was in a Norwegian TV show. Oh, right. You said some a reality show. Yeah. Yeah. Based on because I'm half Norwegian, half Sicilian. Mm. What I got is worth a billion. I'm hotter than hell. Cold as ice gets down to when I'm a feisty slice. So treat me right, baby. You know what I mean. I'm American made jet propel love machine. Woo. Oh, my God. Applauding. <laughs> that was beautiful. The only thing I don't like about that song is that I'm an American-made, jet-propelled love machine. Well, are, are you that person? Well, you know, it just sounds so corny. Yeah, but you know I mean? at the time it was right. Well, I wrote that song recently. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, at, I'm at, not exactly At the a love time machine. frame, it was right then. Yeah, yes. Yeah. But it, I I just wrote that for for Norway. Oh my god. Cuz I'm half Norwegian, half Sicilian. What I got is worth a billion. By the way, there's only three kind of men I really like. Mm -hmm. Can I tell you what they are? Yeah. I finally realized it. Doctors, lawyers, and billionaires. <laughs> you sound like Eartha Kitt. <laughs> well, I'm not like her at all. Uh. No, I love her. She she's a great inspiration, but she she had it down. I'm I'm sort of a fumbler. Uh, I don't know if you're such a fumbler, you know, well, it's when it a, comes to men, I am. Oh, well, maybe I don't know that side of it. Maybe, you know, and I would say yeah. that the majority of people are and the ones who who pretend that are not married yeah. immediately and then we're off the market. So they didn't have a chance to fumble. Well, or, who is who like for? For example, well, just who? generally speaking, I mean, a lot of people got hooked up very quickly because if they if they last yeah. it or after 30, 40 or 50, they can call themselves somebody who's fumbling, but they didn't give themselves <laughs> that opportunity to fumble. You know what I oh, mean? So they're right. married off the off the cuff yeah. at 25 or 28. Yeah. And so we don't know if they're going to fumble at 40 because they're still married with yeah. kids. So you may be fumbling because you didn't marry. Maybe they settled. Who knows? Well, I, I slept my way to the middle. Okay. <laughs> and I didn't even know I was doing it. I love that. That's hysterical. <laughs> now, was I that... wasn't trying. <laughs> yeah. You see, if you really tried, you would have slept your way to the top. I know, but I'm so glad I didn't. Yeah. Because that would have been weird. I'd, I probably would have had to sleep with Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. Ugh. Can you imagine? No. Not I at feel, all. I feel so sorry for all those those um, starlets that that God had to get involved with him in order to have a career. Yeah. Shaking his hand would be enough. Yeah. Anything past that is like, ugh. you know, um, Julie, let me let me let me ask you a question. Yeah. A song you have that I saw on a video, which is lovely. You sang only trust your heart. Oh, where was where was that video shot? 
Oh, that was at uh, a jazz club in Seattle called Jazz Alley. It's the premier jazz club on the West Coast. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um, it was very funny how I got that gig because I had just come back from singing in Istanbul Hmm. for for three months. So I had my chops were together, as they say. Mm -hmm. And so I was singing in Seattle at one of the prominent um, clubs that I have sung at called The Pink Door. It was a cabaret. The Pink Door. And she asked me, the owner, she goes, Julie, would you call up Jazz Alley and find out what what kind of sound system they have, because I want to get a sound system like theirs. And I said, well, why don't you call them? And she goes, no, no, they'll, they'll, they won't want me to call because they'll get suspicious and be protective. But if you call, you know, so I thought, well, I'll do her a favor. So I called Jazz Alley and I just said, hey, um, you know, this guy answered who, who I happen to know. And, and, uh, I said, what kind of sound system do you guys have there? And he goes, Oh, well, we just got this new sound system and it's blah, blah, blah. And I said, wow, that's great. And I said, by the way, do you ever hire, um, local singers there? Mm-hmm. And he goes, no, Julie, we, we just get big name acts. And so then mm-hmm. five minutes later, less than that, he calls me back on the phone. He goes, Julie, would you be available in two weeks to do a show here at jazz alley. We just had a cancellation. Hmm. Now, isn't that interesting how that would work? Well, what it is, is it's show business and you never know what happens. So they go with that. Sometimes you become the filler becomes the new act of the night. Yeah. That happens a lot with, with many performers in, in different capacities. So good. You have to be ready. And so I was ready and, uh, you know, it was a very, uh, uh, you know, that was one of the hardest things I've ever done is, uh, put my act together, but you saw that video, huh? Mm-hmm. I love the video. I, I saw all of them. I really enjoyed that one. I saw the one in Mumbai and so forth, but I really like that one in particular. And I have to say, it's a shame we don't have you on video at the Hollywood Savoy. Not only did it capture you 35 years ago as a super sultry songstress, yeah. but it also captured a personality that you can rarely find even today in cabarets or jazz clubs because oh, you were really? you were so on it you were like you just if they mentioned a song you just knew it by heart and you just jumped in and did it and then you walked around the audience i mean i was serving the tables and you would you know flirt through the audience it was hysterical yeah i mean you were teasing but some of those people were like oh. you know they're like who's this they like like bring her on <laughs> So it was, you know, it was a different time back then. Yeah. So it was, it was a lot of fun to see you kind of like parading from table to table with a microphone, just very, very laissez-faire. Well, you know, like you own the room. Yeah. Remember that night? I wonder if you were there and um, I was singing Besame Mucho and Stacy Mm -hmm. told me to go outside and he put a ladder by the window where, ah. where Eddie Goldstein was playing the piano. So I, and he had me climb the ladder and be singing with the microphone into the audience through the glass. And, oh, and then, and I was getting filmed that night. And so then oh. I came in and Stacy's helping with the cord and he's going, you know, so I, no, so I don't trip. And so I have some slack. And then he goes, here she comes, Julie Cassiopo, you know, 
He was such a screamer. And, um, and I remember I haven't had it on video and, you know, I was laissez-faire about taking care of those because I had several copies and I used to send them to people to hire me and people who never hired me or just kept them. And, and I'm thinking, I don't have one now. Hmm. What a shame because you, you work there like five nights a week for, I don't know, for, for months at a time. Yeah. You were there. Yeah. And the, uh, it was packed. The place was full all the time. SRO. Yes, it was the creme de la creme de la creme of Paris. And we got to work there, me yes. as a silly waiter and a chorus singer, and you as like, you know, the, the diva running the, the vocal show. Yeah. You know, it was a big deal. And having Stacy, who was brilliant at being the musical director, you couldn't ask for anybody so on the ball without any form of uh, being in, in, you know, shy or inhibited by anything. Yeah. He just did it. And plus he was, he wasn't afraid to, you know, people didn't like him that he didn't even care. It was like, this is yeah. what you're doing, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I love that. He used to make, always want us all to come up and sing good night, Irene. And I hated that mm-hmm. song. I hated <laughs> singing that, but you know, I, I sometimes did. And I noticed you did too. Yeah. I, I did the chorus stuff. Sometimes, you know, because I'm sort of a perfectionist and I'm very ambitious mm-hmm. and I've always yes. wanted to push the envelope and, you know, me too. You too. Yeah. Pushing everything. That's how I got to this position. Yeah. Push it, push it. Good. Uh-huh. Yeah. So anyway, but I remember once in a while, um, you know, I would say something to Eddie Goldstein, the wonderful pianist, mm-hmm. and he did not like that attitude of me pushing, you know, Mm -hmm. he, and he would say that don't push me. And, and sometimes he would do it as a joke, but sometimes when he got pushed, you pushed his button and, um, and then the, the song was over. Even if you were in the middle of it, it's like, okay, I'm, I worked with him at a club called, um, not to change the club here, but remember Le Opera? On the opera, Leo. Yes, yes. Yeah, he played with me there a couple times. And and that was a weird, very weird club. Had no personality. Mm -hmm. The people who ran it were from um, Algeria. And they were a very, you know, wealthy (laughs) couple. And everything was, you know, lined up. They had all their ducks in order. They had big pictures of movie stars. And everything was, you know, shiny and red and, you know mirrors yeah. everywhere and you could have your own what, bottle of whiskey with your name on it. Hmm. Okay. And they wanted At a me, cost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they wanted me to sing there, but it was so uncool. You know, it's like, okay, I don't want to be here. Yeah. At least, I think we, yeah. Yeah. Hollywood Savoy was fun and it was organic. <gasps> it was, it was. And I think Stacy brought that on initially and then everybody else kind of like flourished with it. Yeah, uh, we became the petals from that flower, and and uh, we just kept blossoming. The place was just amazing, and it's it will forever be in in my my mind and my memories. I I only wish that I could have lived it a lot longer, and that we could all go back and have it as a place to live and work and breathe. Of course, we're a lot older now, and the world has changed. And you know, I'm going to say now for the better in many ways. But uh, it was a lot of fun. It was very innocent. It was just, it was a blast being there. And and you were a great asset to the entertainment. And I'm so happy that you were there. And then traveling around and, and, and working more. 
you know, as you did for years. Yeah, well, you you're know, still around. Well, Stacy also arranged these gigs at at uh, you know castles in in England and you know all these gala affairs and that I got to attend to be at, you know, sing mm-hmm. at. It was interesting. It was like being in a family. It was. It was. Uh, it was a dysfunctional family, but it was the heart and soul of it was the music. Yeah, and it, and it kept everybody bonded. I think you know. Yeah. You know, me who wasn't. You know, to me, it was a cultural experience living in Paris. Then it was a cultural experience being around Americans. I'd never lived around Americans. Wow. Uh, I lived in Canada, and I lived in a very Greek immigrant neighborhood until we moved to a waspy white neighborhood, which was very disconnected. And so I didn't, other than watching what I saw on TV, I didn't know anything about America. So to be an American in Paris is what I felt like, you know, it was very strange, Julie. And, and there I was going for the French culture. And all of a sudden I, I fell in love with the American culture at the same time. Uh It was just, it was weird. And I thought, well, wait a minute, these are two wonderful cultures, both unique. And, and they were great. You know, Paris was very uptight at the time. Uh, How would you say, why would you say that? I felt like, you know, the people, the general population was very snooty towards American food and ambience and so forth. And, you know, you know, back then it was only known for burgers and French fries, America, but it had a lot more than that. And over the years, and now it's well-respected for so much more uh, in terms of the culinary experience. And back then it was kind of like, thought of as a Yahoo environment. And it really wasn't. It was full of musical entertainment. It was like yeah. Broadway in a restaurant. So it, yeah. it really was. And everybody gravitated. The entire city of Paris was in their lineups. And even All some the of Rolls the Royces. Yeah. And, and some of the people uh, that were in the war stayed there. Remember Roscoe, that black guy, he used to sing and he was mm. deaf. And he, no. he had stayed, um, you know, after the war was over. Mm-hmm. Remember the war? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think yeah. you were born yet, but, but anyway. No, but I know of the war. So, so um, anyway, he, it was some interesting people uh, that lived there. You know, they, you know, and I was always, people always said, why did you ever come home? I mean, why did you leave Paris? And um, the thing is, I, I sort of felt like it was too small for me. You know, mm-hmm. like I couldn't really grow as an artist if I just stayed in those those little jazz clubs. And, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I, and I needed something more. So I came home to have more more torturous experiences, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and also to go visit other countries. You know, um, you mentioned the American church. And that mm-hmm. was how I met Stacy was um, I went to the American church to look at the bulletin board one day. You know, it was located right on the um, Trocadero, I think, was the the metro mm-hmm. stop. And I needed a, a new sublet or something. And so I'm looking there and I met this guy. He kind of reminded me of a leprechaun, but he was gay. Uh-huh. And he goes and I, he goes, oh, so what brings you to Paris? You know, I said, well, I'm a singer and I'm I'm looking for gigs. And, you know, and I had just, you know, hadn't been there too long. He goes, well, you've got to go to the Hollywood Savoy. And I go, oh, OK, you know, and um, anyway, so that American church also had a little newspaper 
Mm -hmm. you know, and, and it had some want ads in there. And so I was also, because I didn't have a lot of singing engagements yet, I looking at these want ads. And, and so at the end of my time in Paris, um, when things were sort of slimming down for me, you know, mm-hmm. I wasn't always at the Hollywood Savoy and I saw an ad that said looking for jazz singers to come to Istanbul. Wow. So I answered the ad and the guy uh, was the pianist and he goes, wow, you're the only person who responded to this ad. And I had sent him my cassette. <laughs> and so <sighs> so from Paris, I went on to Turkey. Wow. And I was in Turkey wow. three different times and had some glorious singing engagements there. Mm-hmm. That was a, a very bizarre time to be in Turkey. Like it was, you know, was it rough uh, as a female in it Turkey was about the, at the I time? I think it was about the night. It was 90. Oh, about, okay. Or 89 or something, you know. But actually, the, it was a rough time because the club I was going to be singing in in Istanbul got busted. It was a big cocaine. Co- oh, my God. Yes, it was a big, you know. And so the guy oh. calls me up and, and I had gone back to home to Seattle to drop off all my stuff, you know, and to connect with my family. And then he goes, I'm really sorry, but, you know, the restaurant has been busted and it's a big wow. drug thing, you know? And I thought, well, that was good. I didn't go sooner. And then he goes, but, but if you'd like, you could, uh, I could arrange a singing engagement for you in Bodrum. Where's that? It's down, uh, in the South of Turkey, you know, right right across from Greece. Okay. Hmm. And, uh, so, uh, you know, a friend of mine said she'd be willing to go with me to, you know, make sure Mm -hmm. it was safe. So I went down, she went with me and I ended up staying there for the whole summer. It was glorious. Right on the, you know, Mediterranean and. Wow. So that's, that's adventurous of you. Well, yes, it is. And singing has been my vehicle that has taken Mm -hmm. me, you know, I, it's not that I, I mean, I love singing. I can actually say I enjoy, you know, rehearsing with someone and, and, uh, and then I thought, well, you know, singing has been my vehicle. I mean, I'm, I don't mind that I'm not the greatest singer in the world, but you know, yeah. it, it takes me places. Well, listen, it, it's, it's wonderful because it does take you places, Julie. And it's, you know, it's, it's what you do and who you are and you sound great. Yeah. You know, I wish I could say that I was an actor, actor. I went, when I got to LA after the Hollywood Savoy and I worked in the restaurants, I tried to be an actor. I didn't really succeed. And, you know, other than small parts, then I came back home, but then that's when I kind of ended up working for Nick Cage and started doing that whole standing thing, which led to a whole bunch of other things in life. After that whirlwind world, I'm, I'm here and I'm home and I'm in a very good place overall. Did you take any acting classes or lessons to be? Yeah, I did. To be, I did. To I be was, his stand-in? No, no, no. I took acting classes while I was at LA. I was not very good. But no, I just, you know, I, I went in for a job because you had to look like him as Nick Cage when I went in for the job and I got it, wow. you know, and then I started to work with him and then I just, it flourished into 10 straight years. Wow. Of, uh, of solid work in the film business, which was bizarre to begin with. Yes. So it was a, it was an experience that, you know, I'm not even a film person to say that I knew what was going on. I learned about filmmaking through the process. It was, you know, weird because it wasn't that I was a real actor or a singer or anything. I was just a guy. And then yeah. I ended up being this traveling guy for a superstar. Wow. 
So Very weird. That must have been really. Um, did you ever know you looked like Nick Cage before you auditioned? I mean, I had heard that at times. Yeah. And, you know, different looks and different times. I've yeah. heard Cage. I've heard when I was younger Al Pacino. Then I heard when I got heavier. I've I heard Alec Baldwin. So I went oh. into a variety of things. Right yeah. down to Joe Montagna. Depends on how tired and baggy my eyes look that day. Yeah. So I had a, a variety of people, but. I, you know, I was with Cage because I was very good on set oh. uh, versus looking so much like him. I was, I, 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 I understood what was happening on a film set and the, the, the job that was necessary for him. Yeah. And, and you probably didn't get in the way. Yes. I, I didn't get in the way because a lot of people do get in the way and I tried to keep out of the way the entire time. So I was fairly quiet about that. But when, you know, when you're off the set, you, you joke around and kid around, but during the process, no, I didn't want to be in the way. I mean, it's, it's his vehicle. I mean, you're there to yeah. facilitate the camera setups and then walk away. Did you ever have a fight with him? Uh, there was a, a bit of a tiffy thing that I stepped out of line um, oh. on a film, and that was my mistake, 100%. It was really stupid of me. And uh, he kind of like let me know. Uh-huh. Um, and rightfully, if I were him, I would have fired me. Yeah. But he was too polite, and he did not. And he just kind of like told me to clam up and didn't talk to me for three days while we were working together because he was pissed off. The truth is, I don't know how he held himself back because when I think about the stupidity that I'd said and done on set, I would have gotten rid of me then. But he was one of those super generous guys who was who was forgiving. Wow. So so you actually said something. Yeah, I said something stupid. I'm not going to repeat now, but something just dumb uh, regarding. But during the filming. Yes, that's what made it stupider. Like, and I knew better. I was around with him for years. And I said something during the taking of a film while he was on there. And when I, when he chewed me out in front of the crew, I realized what a moron I was to actually kind of say what I said, thinking that he couldn't hear me, but he heard me. And, uh, maybe you were sabotaging yourself subconsciously. I was later on. So that's a very good call, (laughs) Julie, because later on I was, and it worked. Um, but I wasn't at the time I was just being stupid, but maybe subconsciously I was then too. Cause it was in the year 2000. Maybe you didn't want to really be doing that. I mean, I can see where that yeah. could be a role that it would be really hard to do all the time. It's like, well, what am I a chopped liver here? I'm, I'm, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. because you're, yeah, a, that's exactly you're right. a star in your own right. You're, you've got a vibrant beauty and, and personality and charm and, I mean, you got so many things going for you, but but what a great opportunity to meet people that must have been. Yeah, it was. And I think you're right on with it. You know, there was I, I think that I was should have I should have left around that time anyway. And you're right on with it. I was, I think, subconsciously sabotaging myself because I was letting myself go to a certain degree. And I thought I had a lot more to give in different aspects. I wasn't sure what. And, uh, you know, I'm glad it's over. And now I talk about it and write about things like you are. And uh, and doing the podcast and and did that short film. Now I'm going to do a feature film on that world that I lived in. And it's and it's very interesting because I'm going to kind of like the man in the shadows now is coming out. Who is me? Yeah. And I never really opened up on any level, Julie. And now I am. You've been expressing yourself for 
you know, 30, 40 years as a, as a singer. I've yeah. never really expressed myself, in, you know, yeah. until recently. That could be a part of your title, The Man in the Shadows comes. It in. is. There's a chapter in that uh, called Man in the Shadows. That is correct. And I actually like that because I felt like I was the man in the shadows. And that was the position I went for. So, you know, in all due respect, that was the position. Did you fall in love with anybody there? No, I fell in love with making money. And oh. putting it away after uh -huh. a while, but no. Are you no, single? Was, yes, single. I just it's just me and my hair products. That's, <laughs> you, don't you have any animals? No, I don't do pets. I'm not a pet person. They they take up a lot of energy and yes, you know, and Tell hair, me. and they smell sometimes, and they need walking and dogging and care, and uh, I don't want to deal with that. I can't. I know it's, too it's much. hard for me to. I have a cat, and he's he's yeah. a party animal, and he wants me to. I was, I taught him how to be on a leash. Uh -huh. I go, see, mommy's on a leash. Now you be on a leash. <laughs> and he loves it. And so he wants me to take him out in the morning and at night. Oh my God. And that's, those, those end up being almost hour, an hour each, you know? Yeah. And then not to mention the hair, the cat hair mm -hmm. and, and cat litter in my clothes. Yeah. Because, that you know, you wash something that anyway, but, yes. um, uh, but I, you know, but that's why I won't do it. I, I don't want any pets because I don't want to deal with all that and, and the smells but, and the and the hairs. But, no. But you know what, Marco, it helps you learn about love when mm -hmm. you have a pet because they they you just love them. You have to yeah. open up your heart to have an animal because the animal isn't going to come and love you back. You know, I mean, they, they appreciate you, but they don't have any uh, consciousness about your um Compat they don't have no compassion for you. They don't yes. care that you're tired. Okay. <laughs> Take me out. So, but, but, um, a person pointed that out to me that if you need to exercise your heart, a good way to do it is have an animal. And usually people who have an animal, even if it's birds, mm -hmm. like I know how you love birds, it, um, it helps something in your, um, psyche. To go, oh, there, there's somebody else or something else that really, really depends on me. And, and then you learn and then you love it. You yeah. know, I, I, I agree with you 100 percent because I've house uh, sat for for people who have cats and dogs in the past. And and yes, I, I did enjoy it short term. But because of travel, Julie, and I yeah. live alone and then you're always looking for somebody to take care of stuff. It's bad enough taking care of a big house by yourself let yeah. alone all the other stuff to go with it. Then you have to think about a live animal, you know, that needs care. Why don't care. you get a, a houseboy or a housekeeper? It's hard because I'm, I'm an anal retentive human being and it's very hard to live with me or to even work with me. Oh, I think I it's, uh, it's, it's very difficult. I want everything immaculate. I don't allow for any mishaps in the house. No shoes, no smoking, no doping, no excess drinking, no late nights. Yeah. Like I'm, you know, I'm very difficult to live with. So I just kind oh. of, I figured that, you know what, I'll just stick to my own thing. And then, you know, I'll visit people with dogs and cats. Yeah. Did you see that movie about Liberace? I saw most of it. <laughs> most of it on cable. Most of it. Anyway, I, don't remember why I know some people, I, I actually thrive on being alone. Yeah. I love being alone. So I, you know, I enjoy my pop television as my assistant knows. I like, I enjoy all that stuff. So I, I do because I'm so busy with so much stuff that I'm fine with yeah. it. 
You know, and, and the animals are great if they're next door or the door after or somebody's friends and dogs yeah. and cats. And I appreciate them and enjoy them. But then I would also like to move on. And then I want to wash my clothes once I leave their home because I now have cat hair, dog hair all over me. Yeah. So, and I don't want to bring it into my home. You know, it's just a, uh-huh. it's a it's a it's a lifestyle choice. Yes. That's that. So, June, let me ask you, honey, are you now? So obviously you're not working, but you're creating at home as much as you can. And if and when things get better, are you planning on going on the road again or are you kind of like going to be working in your circuit? Well, you know, I have a podcast that I do every Friday night at seven on Facebook Live. Mm hmm. And um, I find that that's very uh, interesting and I'd like to get better at it, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, I'm setting that up mainly as a platform for my book that I would like to be finished with soon because I've been working on my memoirs for several years now. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, you just get tired of it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But um, so I'm trying to find a mentor for that, you know, like somebody who could just like, you know, help me. Yeah. And uh, maybe somebody out there in your listening audience would go, hey, she sounds interesting. Let's let's get her. You know, I haven't even, um, you know, asked any publishing houses, uh, you know, sent in a, you know, concept idea and stuff. But anyway, um, and then I also uh, uh, would love to keep singing because uh, Norway is on my radar. I love Scandinavian countries Mm -hmm. because they have such a high uh, lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, health and, and nature. And, and I'd eventually like to, you know, to, to move there if, if I could, like mm-hmm. maybe let's say I got married to someone who was a Norwegian or Dane or Swede. I'm not picky. Yeah. <laughs> even, I'd even take a Finn huh? or an Icelandic. Mm-hmm. So, so, and then I, uh, so I, and then I want to get better at my podcast and I just got a new microphone and some lighting. So I'll be setting up my own home studio. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, I don't know. I just take it one day at a time because I think, you know, it's going to be a long time coming before we're going to do much any anymore. And I'm in the perfect position because, you know, I've done so much. Yes. So if I never traveled again, I wouldn't mind, you know the way things are going. I'm just, I'm perfectly happy here. Yeah. And you're in a very pretty part of the country. I mean, Seattle's, uh, I've been there a few times. It's lovely. All the burbs are nice there too. Yeah. It's a nice place. I live in an ideal place in an old convent Mm -hmm. that was reconverted uh, with six studios for artists only. Hmm. Then I have a beautiful view of Mount Rainier and the lakes of Seattle and and it's a light apartment and I live in a park on top of it. So I don't have to do any yard work. Wow. And exotic, beautiful trees and flowers. I mean, there is my life has been so blessed and mm-hmm. I've taken so many chances and led, led such a risk filled life, you know, going yes. to Turkey, going yes. to India. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. India is frightening. Yeah. And I know. I haven't been. So I, you know, I may not be going. I don't blame you. <laughs> Not anytime soon. Do you speak Greek? Yeah, I speak Greek and I speak uh, French from Paris. Can I hear um, you speak some Greek? Could you say I love you, Julie? Oh, I love it. Uh, 
I, yeah, so, I try to say I love you in, in every language in the world. Yeah, you are full of that with the whole love thing. So I'm, I'm sure that you've got that together. Yes. You know, you're yes. good with those things. So, Julie, I am thrilled. So to have you on. And so you have this Facebook live thing. I'm going to be wrapping it up in a moment. Let me know about some where people can look you up on a website and, and maybe, you know, view or listen yeah. to some CDs and music as well. Well, I have um, music on um, iTunes and Amazon and and CD Baby, and they can look me up just if they can spell my name. Yeah, and they will because and it's spelled correctly on the podcast. Okay, and <laughs> uh, I have a website, and it's juliesings.com. Isn't that easy? It's easy. It's actually quite genius. Yeah, and I'm glad I have it. juliesings.com. Mm. And I have a wonderful web designer who he discovered me singing at a club in Seattle. And he goes, I want to build a website for you. And I go, really? I go, <laughs> okay. Isn't that nice? That is nice. Lucky you. I know. His name is Michael Ortlieb. And he's been with me for years, does all my flyers and posters. And, and then one of the clubs I sing at in Seattle is the Pink Door. Mm-hmm. And that's at the Pike Place Market. Have you ever been to Seattle? I was there like 30 years ago and very briefly visiting friends. And that was the end of it. It was very pretty, but that was about it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, if you ever come to Seattle, let me know. I will let you know. It's always been on my radar. I just, you know, it's hard to like do these trips when you're in other places. I'd like to come to Toronto. I heard that's a beautiful city. It is. It, it looks like Chicago. So it's it's oh. got a real sister city vibe of Chicago. And if you do, you can come and stay here. I have an extra bedroom and bathroom for you, girl. Oh, so are you near Chicago? Uh, well, not near, but not far. You know, it's across oh, okay. from Buffalo, basically. Oh. Yeah. Not too far from there. A two hour drive to the border. So it's, it's close. It's U.S. Wow. light. Is what uh -huh. it is. So, you know, kind of like the same as Vancouver to Seattle. It's about two hours to drive. Same oh. difference, but on the New York State side. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Me and, too, um, Julie. And I hope I'll get some fans from Toronto or from or for or Los Angeles. You send yours. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, I hope maybe somebody can tell me about these Norwegian twins. I want to get them back in my life. Oh my God. That's going to go on. I was alone. I took a ride. I didn't know what I would find there. <laughs> You're so cute. Julie, thank you. Um, I will keep You're in touch welcome. with you. I'll let you know. I appreciate it. You look lovely. Good spirits. Oh, thank you. Good. Your face is so clear still after all the like so clear. Oh, thank all you. Well, you years. know, I do you use you have a great uh, complexion yourself. Do you use a special tanning gel? No, no tanning gel. gel. It's called being Greek. Wow. Yeah. No. You're tanning so gel, lucky. Nothing. Just you're so good looking. Ugh, I thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, <laughs> what you yeah. Well, some days, yes, yeah, some days, no. Yesterday was oh okay today. And, you know, whatever. Doesn't matter. I dreamed I lived in Buenos Aires, a land where I've never been. I dreamed I lived in Buenos Aires. I was happy and rich and thin. I bet you I'm a this concludes our conversation with the soulful singer Julie Cassiopo. 
Until next time, this is Marco Curis signing off. I'll find my way to Buenos Aires And I'll begin again I dreamed I was climbing a staircase